wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. I'm going to speak briefly concerning three of the prophets. Isaiah, who was a prophet just before Israel, the northern kingdom, went into captivity, though he had more to say about Judah and the coming judgment upon it, which was still a long way ahead. Then Jeremiah, he was a prophet to Judah, leading up to the judgment that Isaiah had prophesied of, which was now imminent. And Ezekiel, who was of the captivity, and he was prophesying to the captives, and also that God revealed to him what was still happening in the temple in Jerusalem, because the Babylonian captivity was two-staged. First of all, they took the important people into captivity, left the remnant, and then when Zedekiah rebelled, they destroyed the city of Jerusalem. But in the meantime, the worship carried on in the temple, and God gave the vision to Ezekiel of actually what was transpiring in the temple, the priests being chief in the offense. Now, of course, when we read these passages, we can't help but be reminded of the similarity of the situation then and now in our own nation. There are differences, obviously, but the Lord uh, reminded them through the prophets of the former blessings that had been poured out upon them and how they went after the Lord with whole hearts. But now they had departed so that, as he says, from the top of the head to the sole of the foot was full of wounds, bruises, and putrefying sores. Now, Isaiah is different to Jeremiah and Ezekiel in this respect. He had more to say about things afar off, and especially of the New Testament age, than he did of the present condition of the nation as it was then, so that you'll find, and I believe I'm right in saying this, that there are more quotations from Isaiah in the New Testament than any other of the prophets. And you will remember when the Lord went to Nazareth at the opening of his ministry, he said, reading from Isaiah, this day is the prophecy fulfilled in your ears. 
But what I want to deal with is this. First of all, the situation that was and how the prophets dealt with it and how that God commanded them to preach what he told them to preach. That they were not to water it down or leave anything out, but they were to speak exactly as God commanded them. That still applies today to ministers. Only we have the written word. We're not receiving it in dreams or visions or God speaking directly to us. But we have the written word which informs us as to how we, all of us indeed, should witness as individuals and preachers especially in preaching the word of God. We have here the condition described, but also the remedy for the condition as it is described. Israel was given over to idolatry. There was something in their makeup that made them prone to idolatry repeatedly. Now, I know this is a common thing with nations, humankind, but they especially seem to be prone to it. For God commanded, before they went into the promised land, that they were to destroy or remove the heathen from that land. They were not to intermarry with them, lest they would be led away after their errors. And if you read concerning their entering into the land, it will tell you what the tribes did. They conquered this, they conquered that, but there was always a but. They didn't fairly deal with the situation and eventually they intermarried, they followed their abominations even to their offering of their children to Moloch, which was one horrible deity. And you would say to yourself, how could a people who had known God's blessing, who had the word of God as it was then given, how did it come to that situation? Now, because of time, I'm not going to have you turn over each and every scripture that I have here, but it speaks, it lays the blame particularly at the doors of the priests and the prophets. It speaks in Jeremiah of the prophets prophesying falsely. The, the, police, the priests bearing rule by that means, i.e., I understand that as the prophets were proclaiming, and it says, my people love to have it so. Now, it is interesting that Isaiah wasn't actually commissioned to preach to the nation until he had a vision of the Lord, high and lifted up. We find this in Isaiah chapter 6. And it was a vision of the Lord's holiness. 
And that is something we desperately need to bear in mind in these days. Because there is one attribute of God that has been emphasized with a wrong emphasis, and that is the love of God. Now, the love of God, of course, is a very real thing. But it is as if God has only one attribute. And the holiness of God is something that's very much in the background, if mentioned at all. And so it was that when Isaiah had this vision of God, he said, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, dwell in the peop- amongst the people of unclean lips, and mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The holiness of God, he was so taken up with it as to feel his uncleanness. And he'd been a prophet of the Lord. We have the same thing, of course, with John in Revelation and other examples in the Bible of the same feeling that they had when they were in the presence of God. But you see, what they were dealing with was the very opposite of holiness. It was unholiness. It was iniquity. And so it was, when, God, when, he, when he said this, the angel took a coal and purged his lips. This in symbolic terms, of course, purging away his iniquity. And then God said, or he heard a voice saying, who shall I send and who shall go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. And God said, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not, and so on. Now he dealt not only with Israel, Judah, but also the nations round about. He had a panoramic view, if you like, of history. But there are many lessons to be learned from it, And I'm not going to particularly dwell on it because I want to get on to Jeremiah and also Ezekiel. But you will find in all of the prophets the same problem. Departure from the Lord, idolatry, and all that flows from that. The widows neglected, the orphans neglected, the stranger neglected. Isn't that what's happening today in because of the departure from the Lord, it's not only that, but these wicked laws that have been introduced as a result of the departure from the Lord. You see Romans chapter 1 all over again. Now Romans chapter 1 actually is dealing with, I suppose you could call it the original apostasy. When those, when they knew God, they glorified not him not as God, but became vain in their imagination. I mean, you think of Aaron when Moses was up on the mount. The people said, make us gods that we can go back to Egypt. And he gets them to take off the earrings or whatever, and he makes the golden calf. Aaron. And from that on, they seem to have this ability or disability of being very prone to idolatry and this is what the prophets are dealing with. Now, God raises up eminent prophets 
in times of declension. That's what they were raised up for. They were the ordinary prophets. Now, those prophets were not foretellers like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel were. They were foretellers. That is, their duty was to preach the word of God into the situation to the people, the whole word of God. This they were not doing. And the result was national declension. And that is a problem in this nation and other nations. It's the same problem. The blame for what's wrong in the nation lies at the door of the house of God. You cannot expect ungodly, unsaved people to be holy, can you? You can't expect them to enact righteous laws. But where's the voice of the church? Well, thankfully, there is a remnant speaking out. But we need an Isaiah, a Jeremiah, an Ezekiel, all rolled into one indeed, to be raised up and to speak against the wickedness of the generation. You see, what is salvation? It's repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. But repentance is watered down, if at all, preached. It goes like this. God loves you. He has a plan for your life. All you need to do. And your troubles will be over. Is that what the Bible teaches? Is that what Christ and the apostles preached? Is that what the prophets preached? No. It was repentance. Wash you. Make you clean. Turn from your wicked ways. That's repentance. But in order for people to repent, they need to be aware of God's holiness. God's hatred of sin. He cannot tolerate it. Because, of course, it destroys creation. It destroys people. It perverts his ways. You know, as a question here, you know, how is a city? You know, how has it become dross? How has the city become like this? Because the pulpits were silent and are silent by and large. And more and more they're accommodating wickedness. And I'm talking about so-called evangelicals. And so when we come then, as we must move on, to Jeremiah. He was also the priestly family. And he was now called to testify to Judah. The northern kingdom had already gone into the Assyrian captivity in about 720 BC. What was to happen to Judah was about, well, the first captivity was roughly 595 BC and the second something like 586 BC because it was two stages, as I said. And God calls him, and I'll read it. Again, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4. The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. 
Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. And the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, and to destroy, to throw down, to build, and to plant. Again, that he was to speak what the Lord commanded him to speak. And what was he to do? To clear the ground, so to speak. I likened it to when you see a redevelopment of a housing, you know, Victorian houses and so on. Before they can build on it, they have to clear it. It's like when the Israelites, with Judah more than the northern kingdom, returned to build Jerusalem... <laughs> It was full of heaps of rubbish. And remember what they said. The enemy is amongst us because the enemy was hiding amongst the rubbish and the rubble. Is that not the case in the church today? There's so much rubbish in it. The enemy is hiding. And they have no problem in hiding because truth is not being proclaimed as it is. But before you can plant and build... You, in, in this situation, you have to root out, you have to pull down, you have to destroy, you have to throw down all that's wrong. That means you preach against it. You see, what's passing for the gospel today is not really the gospel. You say, well, how is this the gospel? Well, the problem is sin. It has to be dealt with. Wrong belief, unbiblical belief, that has to be preached against. People need to have a clear view of what the Word of God actually teaches about who God is, about who they are, and their relationship to God as they are in their sin, and the necessity of repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ, as I have said. It is not enough to remain within the four walls of a church, even if the truth is preached, and we're thankful if it is preached within the four walls of the church. It needs to be preached out there. Amen. And I'm glad you're a pastor. I'm not buttering him up, but I'm glad he does. And Brother John Sherwood and others of you go. Is Eve here? No, well, no. All right. Well, she was an inspiration to us, I can tell you. <clears throat> and all, you know, every one of us have a task. There's something we can do. But in the case of the prophets, they were raised up to speak into a situation that was ungodly, that was apostate where things that God expressly forbid 
we're now being practiced even in the house of the Lord itself. And so you find again Jeremiah speaking about the prophets and the priests and the people. And God actually commanded him, first of all, to stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim. Because that's where the problem was. I have said time without number, apostasy doesn't go from the pew to the pulpit. It goes the other way. But it gets into the pulpit from the seminary, or as I call it, the cemeteries. <laughs> but they are, they, they are, they, you know, the, the church, does, now I'm not against proper education, but the church does go down by degrees, the wrong sort of degrees. You read the history of it. And then, when there's a departure from the word, other things take its place. Props, idols, stained glass windows. I have to have a quick look around. <laughs> and so on. Entertainment. You see, in churches like Rome, they have wonderful choirs. Wonderful music. Famous composers, you know, have composed music for the Mass and all that. No doubt it's wonderful music, but it's proclaiming a lie. What's the modern version of that? Gospel rock. It's the same thing in a modern, modern idiom. And so we find that he's go, he is ordered to go and stand in the gate of the Lord's house and to proclaim to him the truth that they had forsaken the Lord, the prophet and the priest, uh, I could actually bring you many different uh, ones of, when, uh, of where he's speaking to this. Uh, Jeremiah 8, verse 10. Therefore I will give their... I go back to 7. The wise men are ashamed, they are dismayed and taken. Lo, they have rejected the word of the Lord. And what wisdom is in them? Therefore will I give their wives unto others, and their fields to them that shall inherit them. For every one from the last even unto the greatest is given to covetousness. From the prophet even unto the priest, every one dealeth falsely. For they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore shall they fall among them that fall in the time of their visitation. They shall be cast down, saith the Lord. What does given to covetousness remind you of? The prosperity teachers. You see, we're having the same things happening today that happened all those years ago. I saw a list of the prime earners amongst the prosperity teachers. The top one is something like 600 and something odd billion dollars. Others in hundreds of millions of dollars. They're in it for the money. But that's exactly what he's saying here. Preaching falsehood. 
there'll be a grain of truth in it. But if you get a glass full of truth and a tablet of poison, that's poison. And usually the devil starts off with a small lie and it leads on to bigger lies. They have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace. There is no peace, says my God, to the wicked. But that they turn from their wicked ways and repent. See what I'm saying? The exact same thing is happening today. The appeal is made. They go in the side room, say this prayer after me, given the stamp of approval, now you're a Christian. No, you're not. Not unless we truly repent and believe. They're healing the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly. You see, the principles of the Old Testament are still there today. Yes, it was under a different... I'm going to say dispensation, but I don't want to use that word in case I misunderstood. But they were justified, as Hebrews 11 tells us, by faith in the promises. All, the, all that happened in the ceremonial law was pointing forward to Christ. And those who understood what was meant by that, they were as justified as we are. That's what, that's what Hebrews 11 is teaching. They weren't justified by works. And so we find in the Old Testament, like David, Psalm 51, against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. There's repentance for you. There's a true confession. And so God raised up these prophets to speak to the people and the prophets and the priests concerning their wickedness. And later on, when Jeremiah went to speak to the prophets and the priests, do you know what they wanted to do? They wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill him. Much the same thing went on, of course, when the Lord Jesus Christ. Who wanted to kill him? The religious. Who were the ones who opposed the preaching of the gospel in the Great Awakening? The religious. And they still do today. False religionists will always do that. But you see, there is an 11th commandment. You didn't know that, did you? There's an 11th commandment in neo-evangelical circles. It goes like this, thou shalt not offend anybody. Woe unto you, I don't know how many times that people coming up in the street, you shouldn't be preaching on sin, you should be preaching about the love of Jesus. Jesus would never say that, and so on. Oh, but he did say that. Read Matthew 23. That's why they hated him. And so... God raised up a special prophet because the ordinary prophets who should have been preaching the truth were not. And they were leading the people astray and the priests were leading the people astray. And what happens in the church then goes out into society. At the beginning, in fact, it was the, the king and the princes that rescued Jeremiah from the false prophets and priests. Later on, of course, we find that they wanted to put him to death as well. And he had a difficult message to bring 
because you see they were under threat from Babylon. He was saying, it's no good you fighting. It's no good you resisting. He'd get locked up today, wouldn't he? <laughs> For, you know, discouraging the, the soldiers. But the reason he said that was because it was, this was a judgment because of their sin. Do you think this nation's under judgment? Has the Lord given us foolish rulers? You begin to wonder. I said rather cynically coming down, isn't it strange that people with university degrees, some of them, can't tell the difference between a man and a woman? I'm referring to Keir Stormer. How has this happened? Because we've departed from the truth just like they did. And the remedy is the same. Preach the truth. But there's a bit more to it than that. Or preach the truth, but I don't say don't add works. I'm not going to say that. I'll come back to that. Now I could go on and on about what Jeremiah had to say and to whom he said it. Read it for yourself. Prayerfully. Let it speak to your heart. And you will say, boy, that sounds familiar. Now, when we come to Ezekiel, Ezekiel was himself a captive. He was a priest. When the Babylonians first conquered Jerusalem, they didn't destroy it, as I said, but they took away the principal people and left the ordinary people behind, but they also left the priests behind. <laughs> Evidently, they didn't think much of them. And so, when God called Ezekiel he was himself a captive and he was also given a charge I read Ezekiel chapter 2 and he said unto me son of man stand upon thy feet and I will speak unto thee and the spirit entered into me when he spake unto me and set me upon my feet that I heard him that spake unto me the Spirit entered into me. I'll come back to that. And he said unto me, Son of man, I send thee to the children of Israel to a rebellious nation. If ever there was a rebellious nation, this nation is. Go on the streets, you'll soon find out. That hath rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me even unto this very day. For they are impudent children and stiff-hearted. I do send thee unto them, and thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord. And they, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, for they are a rebellious house, yet shall they know that there hath been a prophet among them. And thou, son of man, be not afraid of them, Neither be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns be with thee, and thou dost dwell among scorpions. Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. And thou shalt speak my words unto them, 
whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, for they are most rebellious. But thou, son of man, hear what I say unto thee. Be not thou rebellious like that rebellious house. Open thy mouth and eat that I give thee. And this, of course, was the role given to him to eat and was, you know, in symbolic form, the word of God that he was to proclaim. But he said, I'm sending you to a rebellious people. You know, I've heard preachers saying, oh, the, the, the people out there, they're just waiting to hear the message of the gospel. You could have fooled me. Nothing of the sort. Why do sinners sin? Because they love to sin. Why do they love to sin? Because of a sinful nature. And the only thing that can satisfy a sinful nature is sin. I often preach in the open air, you wouldn't be happy in heaven because there's nothing in heaven you like and everything you hate. Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. Hell is a prepared place for an unprepared people. There's nothing on the south. They hate the word of God. It's an offense to them. The gospel is an offense to them that perish. But God says, I'm sending you to a rebellious people. Whether they hear or not, you speak what I tell you. That's what we're to do. That's what every one of us, person to person, we're not all preachers, of course, but we all can be witnesses. We all can give a tract out. We can hold a banner. We can say that's wrong. What of it if they call you names? So what? What did Christ say? Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. So, so persecuted the prophets that were before you. Speak out, stand out, be not ashamed. We have a wonderful message that the politicians don't have. Most ministers don't either, of course. We have a message of salvation. A message that can save sinners from a lost and Christless eternity. And we've got to call things by their proper name. I was speaking uptown a few weeks ago with him with a, a, another man who was preaching, and he mentioned just in passing homosexuality. woman going past stopped. said, you can't say that. I said, oh, yes, we can. We're preaching the word of God. No, you can't. I'm a lawyer. I said, well, you're not a very good one. <laughs> I said, you know what the Irish call lawyers? They call them liars. They mispronounce it. I said, you're either a liar or a misinformed lawyer because we can say exactly what the Bible teaches. But you see the mindset that's there. We've got to speak out, not only against that sin, but all sin. And especially if we're speaking to religious people, like these were, because you see the religious activities continued. You see in Isaiah, God says, I'm sick of all your offerings. Well, he had ordained those offerings, but it was the manner in which they were offering them. Just a performance. And then, of course, later on, mixed in with heathen idolatry. You know what, you know what popery is, what Roman Catholicism is? 
It's a mixture of Christianity, paganism, and Judaism, all mixed up. I would advise you to get Hislop's Two Babylons. It's a very informative book. That's another subject. But that's what it is. And that's always what false Christianity is. It's from an outside source. It's not from the Word of God. One of the biggest things that in, that's infecting the Church of Jesus Christ today is worldliness. Why do they have the banging drums, the twanging guitars, and the blowing bugles, and all sorts of things that I call it entertaining goats? Because that's exactly what it is. You know, we should love the Word of God. We should love the praises of God. We should love the fellowship of God's true people. And if we don't, we need to have a good look at ourselves. And so, I could go on and on in regard to this. But you see, in every time God said, don't be afraid of their faces. I am with thee to deliver thee. I wonder how Jeremiah felt when he was down in the dungeon up to his armpits in mud. I am with you to deliver thee. But God did deliver him. And you know who he used? A poor Ethiopian eunuch who went to the king and said, it's not right how they treated the prophet Jeremiah. This humble man, nobody gave a second glance to him. He was the instrument that God used to fulfill his promise to Jeremiah. Well, now we're in Ezekiel. And God shows him what's happening in the temple back in Jerusalem. Because you see, they hadn't learned from the judgments that had already fallen. They were carrying on in the same old way. And in the temple, God showed them the idols hidden from view. He showed them the ancients with their back toward God, as it were, facing the sun. They didn't learn. Somebody has pointed out, you know, that judgments upon nations, people seldom learn. You know, when you think of the Black Death, the last outbreak of the Black Death was in the reign of Charles II. Shortly after, if I remember, certainly right, we, the Puritans were ex expelled from the National Church. And of course the clergy in their place just ran away and they came out of hiding to minister and so on. But in a very short time this land was given over to wickedness. In a matter of about 40 odd years. You know apostasy is only a generation away. But the Black Death is said in Chester the grass was growing in the streets. No, they didn't have tarred streets, of course, but because there was no footfall. There is a house called Providence House, the only house in Chester where no, but nobody died from the plague. And you know about that place in Derbyshire who cut themselves off so they wouldn't infect other people and they all died. But they didn't learn from that. Yet God in his mercy sent a number of eminent evangelists who turned the country the right way up. God doesn't turn the world upside down, he puts it the right way up as men turn it upside down. 
it's always the same. If God is going to have mercy on our land, we need to pray that he raise up an army of men and women to back them up. I've not been to women preachers, but women can do plenty to back them up. Now that brings me to the end, nearly. Now, I'm going to do this back to front. I'm going to Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and finish with Isaiah. If you read through the chapters in Ezekiel, it talks about how the presence of the Lord removed from the holy place to the door of the temple. And then it went from the door of the temple to the gate of the city. This was, the, this was a symbol of God's presence, the Shekinah glory. And then it went to the top of the mountain on the east of Jerusalem. But when you come to the end of Ezekiel, and I hope you're not one of those who believes that Ezekiel's temple is a literal temple that's going to be rebuilt. Now let me tell you something. If the Jews rebuild the temple and start the sacrifice again, it's the ultimate rebellion against God. Think well on it. It's a spiritual temple. It's the church comprised, comprising of converted Jews and Gentiles. All are one in Christ Jesus. And the first thing we notice, and uh, we turn to Ezekiel 43, because I want to end on an encouraging note. Because the Lord knows <laughs> when we look out at the state of the country, it's discouraging. And the state of the church is even more discouraging. Well, here, if we turn to Ezekiel 43, verses 1 to 9... Afterward he brought me to the gate, even the gate that looketh towards the east. Remember I said the glory left the gate of the city and was on the mountaintop on the east. And behold, the glory of the Lord of Israel came from the way of the east. And his voice was like a noise of many waters. And the earth shined with his glory. And it was according to the appearance of the vision which I saw, even according to the vision that I saw when I came to destroy the city, and the visions were like the visions that I saw by the river Chabar, and I fell upon my face. And the glory of the Lord came into the house by the way of the gate, whose prospect is toward the east. This was the glory returning. That's our hope. I think I may be wrong. I think the glory is at least at the gate of the city, so to speak. It's not altogether departed. But it returned when the house was built. And you know when it speaks of the, river, the, the, the waters flowing out of the temple. Now some people think that's irrigation. It's not. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. The Holy Spirit. This spake he of the Spirit. And then when we come to Jeremiah 31. Verse 31 to 34. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, 
that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after these days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts and write them in their hearts. They will be and will be their God, and they shall be my people. They shall teach no more every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them even unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Well, of course, you know in Hebrews, Paul said, that's the new covenant. So Jeremiah was prophesying of blessed days ahead. And finally, I want us to turn to Isaiah. And the reason I'm finishing with this, well, you will see. Isaiah 64. I'll read it all. For this is our only hope. This is a prayer. And we all should be praying this from the bottom of our hearts. Oh, that thou wouldst rend the heavens that thou wouldst come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence, as when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil, to make thy name known to thine adversaries, that the nations may tremble at thy presence. When thou didst terrible things which we looked not for, thou camest down, the mountains flowed down at thy presence, for since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for them that waited for him. You can read it on. Read on. Read the full prayer. This should be the desire of our hearts. This was the remedy then. This was the message they preached then. Turn from your iniquities. Cast away your idols. Return to the Lord, for he is merciful and gracious, full of compassion, slow to anger. I wonder how the Lord puts up with us. I honestly do. I wonder how he puts up with me. And I don't say that frivolously. Is, does not your heart yearn within you? When you read of what God did in this nation and other nations, when he moved mightily by his spirit, men and women were on, and children were on their faces before the Lord, crying for mercy, not ignoring us. As I say, if somebody bites my head off, I take that as an encouragement, <laughs> at least they're understanding what I'm saying. This nation, this world needs shaking by the power of God. Now God says, it's your iniquities that are separated between you and your God. We need to put away as individuals anything that is grievous to the Lord, if there are things, and there are things in all of us, no doubt. We need to pray night and day that's my hope. I don't know how long I've got left, but it is my hope that we'll see God in his mighty power moving again.
They didn't listen then, and they went into captivity. That can happen to this nation, friends. Pray earnestly. Preach earnestly. Live godly, because all things are possible with God. Amen.